in the beautiful West 7th neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, you're listening to the Capital City Podcast. Hey guys, good evening. I want to introduce my good friend Jim Schofield and his wife Christine. You guys want to raise your hands. Uh, So I go way back. I met Jim 14 years ago and Christine even six months earlier. His wife Christine was my very first small group leader along with another friend who's not here. Uh, And then Jim, you know, we, we were roommates in college for a long time. I have a ton of respect for him. Um, my, my debt to, you know, my formation spiritually is, you know, is, is still accumulating interest on, on Jim and Christine's account. So we're so glad to have him come in and preach. God has brought him through a, a whirlwind and I'll let him share more about that. But, um, I wanted him to come and share a message specifically on, on and around suffering with you guys. And it's never something, and I've been able to speak to, um, as, as fully as I'd like to, well, rather, I'm glad I'm not able to speak to it because I haven't been through nearly as much as, as, as others. So I wanted Jim to come in and, and preach on that. So why don't we welcome up Jim, and he'll preach for us. Yeah. Hi. Oh, that's loud. Um, yeah, suffering. This is going to be fun. Um, so my story kind of started... Um, I was returning from a two-week trip to China in Hong Kong with my wife, and I had been working with a lot of churches in China and in Hong Kong, and we were running English camps, we were running gospel camps. There was a lot of exciting things happening. We saw uh, groups of people giving their lives to Christ. We talked to people who, when you asked about Jesus, they had no idea who he was. They thought he was like Hercules. (laughs) Um, We were on a spiritual mountaintop. We were starting to think about, well, maybe we should go to Asia and maybe we should be there full time. Um, But when I got back from this trip, I developed a migraine that lasted a week or two. And in that time, I developed something called fibromyalgia. Show of hands, does anyone know what fibromyalgia is? Okay. So I didn't know this at the time, but I would be spending the next year dealing with constant pain that had no cause that any doctors could find. And it was one of the darkest times in my life. And that is only the first part of my story. (laughs) So I just want to back up a little bit. My, My goal being here is I'm hoping that I can share some of the things that I was processing through and some of the things that I was learning and um, basically finally dealing with with God. And I'm, I'm hoping that I can share some of these things to you guys so that even if you are not suffering right now, I know that you probably will be at some point because we're all going to die. I'm sorry to break that to you. And... Um, Life is hard, and Christians often don't even want to talk about it. So I am going to back up even more. When I was in high school, um, something very traumatic happened to me. On the way to high, sc- on the way to high school, one of my close uh, childhood friends died in a car accident. Um, their car was traveling on the highway to my high school. It was icy, and they... They slipped, turned, and went over the median into oncoming traffic, and they were hit by a bus. Um, 
So the reason I'm bringing this up is because that was my first point where I had to actually deal with, is God good and what's going on here? Um, And I think this is when I made my first theological mistake. I said to myself, as I was like dealing with all of these things and all the pain and all the frustration, um, I said to myself that God would never allow this to happen. So, So he had his hands completely off the situation. Things like this just happen. Um, and I'm telling this to you now, uh, gosh, this is 25 years later, almost, if I'm doing my math right. I used to be a math teacher, so just trust me. Um, <laughs> but that, at that point, I, I started to believe things about God that I don't, I don't believe are actually the truth. Um, and, uh, well, let me continue. So I married my wife in college. I, uh, we started having children. We went to China. We were starting to get involved with the Hospitality Center for Chinese. And uh, that's a, a place in Minneapolis on campus that they, they try to connect churches to the Chinese community because the U of M is full of Chinese students. Um, and they're filling all the math and the science classrooms there are like no white Americans in there. It's, it's all Indians or Chinese. <laughs> but um, we were starting to basically help them uh, learn English. We were, we were um, volunteering to uh, help them w- around uh, airport trips and so on. And um, this is about when I went on my trips to China and, and I got sick. So um, when I got sick... Um, to paint a picture of what it's like, it's, I, I used to say it's like taking a bath in pain, and it just never goes away. So when I woke up in the morning, it was there, and all day it was there, and when I laid down in bed, it was still there, and um, it felt like I had the flu, but worse. It was like the worst flu I've ever felt in my life. So I would lay down, and my entire body would be aching, and I would go to sleep, and I'd do that over again. And so this happened for about, about a year. And so um, I had been a Christian since high school, about the time that my friend had died. And this was the first time where I had to deal with my frail body. <laughs> and the fact that no matter which doctor I went to, they had no explanations. They still don't quite know. They just know it's like a neurological issue. Um, where your nerves start to basically react to things that they shouldn't. Um, So, life was really hard. Um, It wasn't just a physical pain, it was very emasculating. If if you don't know this, fibromyalgia, uh, they think that about 90% of fibromyalgia sufferers are women and the rest are men. It leaves a very small percentage of of men who have this experience. And then um, it doesn't help that the community had decided that like the symbol of fibromyalgia is a purple butterfly. And so if you search up fibromyalgia online, um, almost everything is from a women's perspective. You get a book on fibromyalgia, there's a picture of a woman on the front crying or something like that. and it was, um, it was really hard for me because I would be laying on my couch. I, 
I was teaching, so I would be teaching all day. I'd teach 160 kids. I'd come home at night, and Christine, my wife, basically said like she had she was a widow because I would lay down on the couch. And if the, the children, even if they were playing quietly, the sounds were so intense that um, we often had to have them not be around me. Or if there's smells, certain smells would just like make me, I don't know. It just felt like everything was turned up to 11. This was really hard. Um, and that's, that's when I was starting to question God because if God was not in control, if, if, like my friend in high school, if God was not in charge of that or had some say in that, then who is in charge? <laughs> and I was really depressed because I felt like I had to be a good Christian and just bear it, and that's not really healthy. <laughs> so also, I was, I'm really achievement-focused, and so I couldn't even mow my own lawn, and that was really hard for me because... Um, how do you value a man if he can't get up, walk around, teach the kids, if he can't be uh, an example? All the kind of male roles that you think of are almost physical in some way. And so it was just really <laughs> difficult. Um, okay, so that's only part one of my story. <laughs> after, um, after about a year of that, it just mysteriously started going away. And... Um, I would go through maybe a couple days without the pain, and then it would flare up. And then after a while, it was a couple weeks, and it would flare up. And then now I haven't had any flare like that since this last summer. It just is so rare. And so it's really truly a mystery why those things happen. And I'm super grateful that that went away. But last fall, something else happened to me. Um, I was running, and while I was running... Um, I had been running since I was like 13 years old, and uh, I started to slow down, and I started to realize I can't take full breaths. And so I finished the run, and I went to my doctor, and it turns out that I had a genetic defect in one of my heart valves. And so my aortic valve, it was called a bicuspid aortic valve, and it runs in my family. My grandma had it. And um, normally what happens there, I have... Uh, I have these two valves that kind of, they call it the fish mouth opening. The two valves, that, uh, two valve cusps, they call it, that kind of like open and close. And it's really not efficient. Normally people have three valves that kind of come together like, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, they meet in the middle. <laughs> and it keeps the blood from coming back in the heart. So I found out that I was having, I had a failing bicuspid aortic valve. Um, I went to the doctor. The cardiologist was just said, oh, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Come back next year. We'll check it. <laughs> um, and with my past, with fibromyalgia, and having to kind of fight for my own health, I, I was a nervous wreck. Uh, my wife, again, felt like she had lost me again because I read horror stories where an uh, aortic valve would just go and people would die. Um, and so I went to Mayo... And when they looked at it, they looked at the same images and they said, you're going to need surgery. <laughs> so this past spring in March, I underwent uh, open heart surgery. Um, 
And funny story, it wasn't meant to be open heart. It was supposed to be minimally invasive. So to make the story even better, <laughs> they were trying to come in from the side. It's kind of counterintuitive, but it's the opposite side of your heart. And they were going to do it um, minimally invasive, meaning they only remove a rib and then do all their work through that opening. And then they put the rib back and sew you up and you should be okay. So I was going to get a mechanical valve that way. It turns out that about 80% of the way through, um, they realized they can't finish it. And so they closed up the minimally invasive and then just totally invasively did the open heart surgery. <laughs> so my cardiologist jokes that I underwent two heart surgeries that day. And it's not much of an exaggeration. They had to open me up uh, twice. And I have, I'm going to stop talking about this kind of horror story, but it kind of goes on where I was without real any, any pain medication for a few days because the pain medications were causing me to uh, hallucinate and um, I couldn't sleep. And that was probably the hardest few days of my life. Christine was there. You can ask her about it. Um, okay. <laughs> so why did I go through these things? And... I wanted to speak about a few things about suffering and what God says and what the Bible says about that. In, who's heard of Tim Keller? Like everyone. <laughs> he has a really great book, and I highly recommend it. It's called um, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And so some of the stuff that I'm going to say here is very probably close to what he's said in that book. And some of it is my own take on, on some other verses. Um, but I recommend that book because I think I said in the beginning, Americans don't like thinking about death. They don't like thinking about suffering or pain. It's uncomfortable. And it almost, it almost seems like if you're suffering as an American, you're doing something wrong. And Americans will often, before they like actually try to acknowledge the reality of suffering, they'll say like, well, have you tried cutting out gluten? Or have you tried X, Y, Z? Have you tried exercising? Like there should be a solution, there should be a pill. Um, Americans are really averse to the reality of suffering and suffering is something that we will deal with and we deal with daily. It's not something that we should avoid. And the Bible says something like that. Um, and you guys probably, Maybe you're thinking about James. He says, do not be surprised at the, fire, at the fiery trials <laughs> that overtake you. But um, in the first verse that I wanted, the first few verses I wanted to share, um, Peter's talking to a church. And he, apparently this church has gone through some sufferings, but I think this suffering is more probably religiously and politically motivated. Probably they've, uh, the government and the culture around them were oppressing them. But I think that this really um, is the way that we should be dealing with all suffering. So I'm going to read this. This is in First Peter. It's in chapter 4, and it's 12 through 19. Uh, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. And so that's like just like James. <laughs> But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of, of the spirit of glory and of God, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And I'm going to jump, I should have jumped down earlier, but the very last sentence, this is the very last sentence of that paragraph. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Um, I think Peter here is he's acknowledging the reality of suffering. He's saying, don't be surprised. We're all going to suffer. This is life. We're not at heaven yet. Um, and he's also saying, and I think he's assuming, these Christians were living good Christian lives. It's not because of their reputations. It was because they were Christians that they were suffering. So another thing that Americans really struggle with is if we're suffering, we're doing something wrong, right? For a Christian, if you're doing things right, even then you're going to encounter suffering. So I just think of, for example, Job. But you can look at all of the people in the New Testament. They seem to be doing a lot of things right. And like Paul himself suffered with this debilitating eye thing that we don't really know about. And all of the disciples were martyred, except for John, right? Okay, I'm getting a head nod from, from Jordan. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think the most important part, and this is what really helps me to set my heart in the right direction when I'm dealing with anxiety, because I still deal with anxiety so much, is that it says... Um, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Um, in Christianity and churches, I have a real beef with the way that we have kind of shorthand for the way that we say things. Like, oh, just have faith. Just have faith doesn't help me. I don't know what that means. But when I read this, yeah, let me say though, that's in the Bible, so I get why people say it. <laughs> But this to me is a verb. This is something that you can do. Entrusting, this is, um, this is to me the verb form of have faith. This is entrusting. This is almost a financial term or a legal term. It's saying that, God, you can have possession of this. You can take this. You can do whatever you want with it. I am not, I don't have control over this. I'm entrusting this to you. And the other side of this is, um, in my version, it says, while doing good. I think in ESV it says the other way around. But um, meaning, the, it says, while doing good, entrust yourself to a faithful creator. What I'm trying to say is that we are created to do good works in Christ. And so do that. While you're entrusting, do that. That gives you something to do, even though your alarm bells might be, might be blaring you might be anxious, you might be depressed. There is something that you can still do. You can entrust yourself to God, and you can do good, because he enables us to. Um, and then I want to say, uh, just share one more verse that was instrumental with me, especially when I was had fibromyalgia. I struggled with, why am I having this, and why would God ever allow this to happen? Um, 
So in Isaiah 55, this is a pretty well-known verse, but this is the first time I had, had learned about it was when I was sick. Isaiah 55, 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And, and so this, this might be kind of controversial, um, but I have a saying that God is in control of way more than we care to admit. And so the question comes down, if God has so much control over so much of our life, is he good? And that question matters. Is he a good God? And I would like to say that he is a good God, and it's not just because I'm at the tail end of my sufferings. The fact that he's a good God allows you to overcome anything. So uh, one thing that really helped me, because, um, you know, I'm, my faith is not that strong. I don't have the gift of faith. <laughs> I, when I was a teenager, before I became a Christian, I was, I was an atheist, and I was seriously depressed. But I, was, I had so many doubts. And this has helped me through this all, because the main question I had was, can I trust this God? This God that I had been following for years, by the way, should I, should I trust him? Um, and Christine shared this with me the other day. She was reading something from Thomas Cranmer. And I'll read this quote here. You could have all the faith in the world in thin ice, but you would still fall through. You could have extremely fragile faith on thick ice, and you would not fall through. The thick ice which will not give way is the historic sacrifice of Christ on the cross, satisfying the judge of life. And what I get rest from is the fact that even though my faith is very small and I have so many doubts, it doesn't matter because I'm standing on thick ice. The ice is what matters. So I just have a few suggestions here. Sorry if this was a major downer. I'm actually really encouraged <laughs> um, sharing these things. Um, I just want to... Some things I've learned. Here's some of my Jim's Cliff Notes. Um, remember that pain and suffering is relative, but it is never irrelevant. Um, just because you haven't had heart surgery and you haven't dealt with fibromyalgia and a whole list of other things that could happen to you, um, it doesn't mean that it's still valid suffering. <laughs> As Christians, when I would tell people about like what's going on, they would be like, um, they would have... There was almost guilt associated with the fact that they had never dealt with something to that same level. I, I would say, I would say, don't worry about it. Be real with whatever suffering comes your way. Be prepared to share it, because Christians are the most emotionally constipated people I know, and it takes a lot of vulnerability to tell people that things aren't going okay. Even if it's a very small, they're not going okay. <laughs> um, so if you're in the middle of suffering, I would suggest a few things that I learned was tell people about it, let them know how they can help, because especially Minnesotan Christians don't have any idea what to do with you. And that's okay. 
the role of our Christ's body is to hold each other up when we go through sufferings. They can't do that if they don't know what to do. (laughs) And one of the best things that someone can tell me, I think, or could have asked during that period, was they could say, um, I'm going to bring you food. What do you want? Don't ask, what can I do? Think of something. Um, And... um, I'm sorry, I just realized I was like giving advice to someone who wasn't under suffering. Tell people that uh, what, exactly what you would like and don't feel guilty about it because, um, because you can experience Christ's body that way. Um, I would also say let suffering cement your relationship with a good God because even small suffering has you rely on the God that you don't see right now and that's worthwhile. Um, and so for those of you who don't feel like you are suffering at all, maybe you're living the perfect suburbanite life and everything's great. And um, I, w- I would just say that uh, you should spend time thinking about it. Um, I joked about how we're all going to die someday, but that's not a joke. <laughs> we are. Have you thought about that? If you aren't a Christian, that's, that should spark a lot of investigation in Christ. And if you are a Christian, that should be sparking a lot of questions about what do I actually believe about Christ and have I been on autopilot for years? Um, the other thing I would suggest, if you aren't suffering, um, look for people who are. It's not hard to find people who are going through terrible things. And it doesn't have to be illness. It could be a lot of different things. When I started, <laughs> so my, this is my last little thing, and then, then I'll be quiet. Um, at work the other day, on Friday, I was just sitting at my desk. I was coding away, because now I'm a coder. And then my heart just went, just for like two seconds. It just beat like 20 times in two seconds. Has that happened to anyone else? Yeah. and. I think that's normal, but I just had heart surgery, so that freaked me out. I stood up, and I walked away, and I was like pacing, and people noticed, like, are you okay? (laughs) And as I asked people around my work, I was just like, has that ever happened to you? Like 90% of the people, it happened to them. But what was really interesting is I was starting to ask people about it. They started to open up about, like, they deal with anxiety. They deal with depression. Like, they deal with lots of stress. And it was, I didn't even have to look that far, and I was just asking about a dumb little like heart palpitation. And so I, I would like to say that it'd be really easy for you to find people. And I think something, this speaks the gospel louder more than, more than a lot of things, is if you're willing to listen and actually just ask them, like, what's going on? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by anxiety? Um, and hopefully that kind of opens the door to some of those things. Um, I think I've said enough, <laughs> but uh, I, my heart is for this, and my heart is for people who are hurting, and especially for people who don't know quite what to do or what to think. Um, my email, I'm just going to give my email out. You can email me. It's a weird email, oldcoyote at gmail.com. <laughs> One word, oldcoyote at gmail.com. I am, I'm willing to help. Um, 
in any way. And I'm also on Twitter, but Jordan tells me you guys aren't a Twitter church. Um, but anyway, it's, it's at jscove. <laughs> but I am, I'm happy, oldcoyote at gmail.com. If you just want to talk or if you have questions or anything, um, just send me an email. Um, yeah, let's pray. God, thank you that I'm able to share what happened to me. I pray that the words I said um, meant something and that it helped someone here. I hope that what you put me through would um, bring fruit. We love you, God. Amen. This is a project of the Capital City Church in the West 7th community of St. Paul, Minnesota. Find us on Instagram at Capital City Church STP or visit our website for more information at capitalcitystpaul.com. Paul.com.